Hello America, I'm Dr. Jake Jacobs and I'm excited to say we're doing a brief history of American political parties and today it's early Republican Party history. Now last show we covered an early history of the Democratic Party, Martin Van Buren, Andrew Jackson, all the way up to Jefferson Davis and the Democratic uh, CSA, the Confederate States of America, who declared war on the United States of America to preserve slavery. It's an embarrassing part of democratic history, but today I want to focus in on, on how the Republican Party got birth. And it takes us back to the 1840s. There were two primary uh, major political parties back then. The Democratic Party established about 1829 uh, with the help of uh, Martin Van Buren and Andrew Jackson. And then there was the Whig Party. Now, the Whig Party was a configuration of those who, who believed in, in good, solid democratic processes, but were concerned about uh, too large of an executive branch. They called themselves anti-monarchists. -monar uh, they called Andrew Jackson, there were uh, cartoons done of him where he was depicted as King Jackson and then they started playing on his name and and using the jackass or the donkey as a symbol of the Democratic Party as the way to rip on them but actually Andrew Jackson and other Democrats they actually liked it so eventually there was this uh, in 1840s and uh, an organization called the AASS Okay, the AASS, the American Anti-Slavery Society. It was headed by the great orator William Lloyd Garrison. With reasonable people I will reason, with humane men I will plead. Very passionate abolitionist. Now, William Lloyd Garrison and his group, these abolitionists, they felt the Constitution was actually, it was a bad document. It was pro-slavery. But there were other Americans that said, whoa, 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 wait a minute here, William Lloyd Garrison. And one of them was known as the Liberty Party. The Liberty Party didn't last a long, long time, but they broke away from the AASS, the American Anti-Slavery Society. And they said, you know, we study the, the Constitution and we think it's magnificent. We see it coupled with the Declaration of Independence that says all men are created equal. We recognize that the Democratic Party, even though they invoke Thomas Jefferson and their party, they ignore the equality aspects of the Declaration of Independence, and they ignore the fact that the Constitution actually outlawed the slave trade in 1807, signed by President uh, Thomas Jefferson. By the way, this is a quick aside note. African chieftains were furious with President Jefferson because he was stopping the slave trade, and African chieftains over in African were making a lot of money by actually capturing Africans and selling them in the transatlantic slave trade back in the day. Now, the Liberty Party of this time period was having a hard time uh, gaining substantial, uh, you know, establishment, let's say. And there was another party founded called the Free Soil Party in 1848. In essence, they were arguing that any of the new territories or states that were coming into the United States of America should be free. And so they argued that the soil should be free, that men and women should be free. 
They wanted to stop the advancement of slavery in the Western territories because the Democratic Party wanted to not only uh, advance slavery, they wanted to preserve slavery throughout the United States of America. They went so far to think that, to try to think to, to be able to get Cuba and make Cuba a state of the United States and make it a slave state. But that's another story and another for another time. Then in 1850, the great state of California, which, by the way, California, if you ever look at the flag of California, it says the California Republic. It doesn't say the California democracy, because according to Article 4, Section 4 of our Constitution, we're to have Republican forms of government in our states. I think this is important for us to recognize and realize. So when California comes in as a free state, and they're thinking, oh my God, electoral college, we're going to be dominated by the free state people. The Democrats were furious. And as you know from the previous program, I talked about how they were using the so-called states' rights people, the Democratic Party, were using federal power to advance and preserve slavery in the land. Well, in 1852, one of my all-time favorite books, Uncle Tom's Cabin, came out written by Harriet Beecher Stowe. In fact, when uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe met Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln said, well, there's the little lady that started the big war. Now, Harriet Beecher Stowe and her family in Ohio, they were abolitionists. They were Christian abolitionists. And they worked with the, uh, the underground, with the Harriet Jacobs and the Harriet Tubmans and many others to help those uh, slaves, those black slaves in the democratic states in the south escape to come to be free in the north. I got to tell you a story. This relates to this, that, that amazing year of 1852. Less than 12 miles away from this studio, this studio in the Fox Valley of Wisconsin, there was a city established called Freedom, Freedom, Wisconsin. It was established the same year Uncle Tom's Cabin came out, 1852. And there's a story behind Freedom, Wisconsin. There was a gentleman by the name of James Andrew Jackson. We don't know a lot about him, but we have enough information of James Andrew Jackson that around 1830, he escaped from Democratic democratically controlled southern state and he came to Wisconsin he came to an area that's been called Freedom Wisconsin since 1852 eventually he will uh, he will move to my home my, my birth town my hometown of Appleton Wisconsin and he's buried in Grand Chute Wisconsin which is right around the corner from this studio now why do I tell this story because this gentleman James Andrew Jackson this former slave who leaves the slave, Democratic slave states of the South, comes north to be free. And then they come to him, the, the townspeople of this area come to him and say, Hey, James, you were the first pioneer. You were the one who cleared the land. You were the one who established this area. Uh, we'd, like you, we'd like to call it Jackson, Wisconsin. And James Andrew Jackson said, No, call it freedom. Call it freedom because it's in Wisconsin, the free state of Wisconsin, that I found my freedom. And we always thought that they found your, you found your freedom on Blueberry Hill. But no. I mean, in a serious note, 
This is why, as a Wisconsinite, I am proud to say that Wisconsin has been on the fine cutting edge of fighting for life, liberty, and freedom for all since its inception, its creation in 1848. And people forget something. They forget that the founding fathers who are maligned and attacked by the woke folk today, that our founding fathers, yes, there were a number of founding fathers who had slaves, but there were a significant number of founding fathers that saw slavery as immoral. And so George Washington and the first Congress signed the Northwest Ordinance, which was dealing with the territories that eventually would create Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, uh, Wisconsin. And in it, our founding fathers, our first president, our first Congress said that slavery will be illegal. And by the way, this is a quick aside, but they also called for Christianity to be taught in our schools. And so here it is that in Wisconsin in 1852, a town called Freedom is established. Now that micro example of a little burg in Wisconsin is a macro example of a huge destructive war around the corner. Because in 1854, the Democrats and the Democratic president were calling for the passing of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, where people would vote for or against slavery. You know, they called it popular sovereignty. Let the people decide. Let the people choose for freedom or for slavery. It eventually got so bad that literally thousands and thousands of Democrats were going into Kansas, going into Nebraska, thousands and thousands of soon-to-be Republicans or Liberty Party people or Whig people were going into Kansas and Nebraska, and they were fighting over the issue of life, liberty, and slavery. They ended up calling it bloody Kansas, bloody Nebraska. It was ugly. It was sad. So in 1854, that same year, in Ripon, Wisconsin, not too far away from this studio, former Whigs, Labor Party individuals, and ex-Democrats, they met to create the Republican Party. Its initial goal, because they were coming from a constitutional framework, and this is very important to understand the mind of Abraham Lincoln, because people will say, well, Lincoln didn't want to abolish slavery immediately. Lincoln would look at the Constitution of the United States and he would say, I don't have the power, the prerogative, according to Article 2 as an executive, to outlaw slavery. I can't do it. We're going to have to do this through legislation. But they couldn't do it. What was the dominant party in the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s? It was the Democratic Party of slavery. And so they established this party. By the way, I was giving a speech in Michigan a few years back, and I was sharing this Republican Party history. And as I'm sharing about how the Republican Party was birthed in Ripon, Wisconsin, somebody yells out, no, it wasn't. It was founded in Michigan. And I said, 
I'm up here. I control the podium. I'm right. You're wrong. And this has been debated. Actually, Wisconsinites, Michigan uh, Michigan Republicans, and even New York Republicans argue on the birthplace of the Republican Party. But officially now, it is considered to be a rip in Wisconsin, and shortly thereafter, the party platform uh, was developed and advanced uh, by uh, Republicans in the state of Michigan and also by Republicans in the state of New York. The key point is, though, that these Northerners who believed in totality of the Declaration of Independence that called for equality for all, not just for some, said we need to have a party that at first stops the advancement of slavery. They were hoping to create, you could say, a a corridor surrounding Democratic southern states, and eventually it would suffocate, it would die out slavery. That was the initial hope. They didn't know if it was going to lead to war or not. Well, in 1856, the Republicans nominated John uh, Fremont. He lost to James Buchanan. James Buchanan probably was one of the worst presidents in our history, and I'll explain why here in a second. But now in 1857... One of the most dreadful decisions in the history of the Supreme Court, right up there with Roe v. Wade, right, or Plessy versus Ferguson, was the Dred Scott decision. And in essence, the democratically controlled Congress voted seven to two, seven Democrats versus two Republicans, that slaves were property, that slaves were in essence animals. And that could be handled and, and, and by its, the slave owners like chattel, like animals. And it put more fuel into the passions and convictions of Republicans across the United States of America. So in 1860, the Republicans elected a gentleman by the name of Abraham Lincoln from the state of Illinois. And the Democrats immediately says, you've elected a black Republican, a Negro Republican. And so the Democrats began to over and over again say, if you vote Republican, you're voting for the Negro Party. In fact, they would even have campaign posters that would say two platforms. The Democratic platform is for the white man, and the Republican platform is for the Negro. And they would have very disparaging uh, artwork done of the Negro looking like animals. This was very common in this time period, by the way, for the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party platform was full of its desire to uh, preserve slavery, advance slavery, and to stop those who would abolish slavery in the land. Now, I think it's interesting, and this is important historically for us to have a reference to. So in November of 1860... By the way, I forgot to mention, Abraham Lincoln wasn't even allowed on the ballots in southern states. The Democrats wouldn't even allow his name on the southern states. Oh, those are true believers in democracy, right? Yeah, no way. That's how much he was hated by the Democrats. Not even allowed in southern ballots. So between November, when Lincoln gets elected, mind you, he's not president until March, when he becomes president, Now, remember, back in those days, presidents, they would get elected in November, and then they they wouldn't come in until March. That was changed uh, 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 in 1933 with the 20th Amendment, where they now said, uh, we'll let the the, the new president, will come in on the 20th of January. 
they felt there was too much hanky-panky going on between November and March, so they wanted to shorten that time period up. Now back to Abraham Lincoln. So he's in power. Excuse me. He's not in power. That's the key point. He's, he's been elected, and he's trying to the best of his ability. He's negotiating with the Democrat-controlled southern states. You know, South Carolina, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, Georgia, Texas, Virginia, Arkansas, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama. He's pleading. He's discussing. He's reaching out. He's sending dignitaries upon dignitaries and saying, we don't want war. And the Democrats said, stop your whole idea of stopping Slavery. We want slavery. You want to not only preserve it, we want to advance it. And so what happened? Before Abraham Lincoln was even president of the United States, the southern democratic states began to prepare for war. On December 20th, 1860, South Carolina seceded from the United States of America. January 9th, 1861, Mississippi. January 10th, uh, 1861, Florida. January 11th, 1861, Alabama. January 19th, 1861, Georgia. January 26th, 1861, Louisiana. February 1st, 1861, Texas. Lincoln was not even president, and the southern states were leaving. They, in fact, they were starting to prepare for war, and they were starting to actually violate federal installations and federal, uh, um, uh, uh, like, areas of control in southern states. They were violating federal law and federal properties. Lincoln comes into power, March of 1861, and then Virginia, Arkansas, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Alabama leave. Now, this is interesting because if you read the Constitution of the United States of America, Article 1, Section 10, it says, No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation. Then it goes on to say in the Constitution, No state shall, without the consent of Congress, engage in war unless actually invaded. Now, we don't have time in this show to deal with the constitutional mindset of the brilliant mind of Abraham Lincoln, the absolute brilliant mind. In fact, maybe I'll talk to my uh, producer director about uh, maybe creating a show on the constitutional mindset of Abraham Lincoln. To me, it's absolutely brilliant. That's why Abraham Lincoln is one of my uh, top presidents of all time. And I know, I know a lot of uh, people to this day don't like Abraham Lincoln for various reasons, but I absolutely adore Abraham Lincoln. And he gave the ultimate sacrifice, his life, for the cause of liberty. But Abraham Lincoln's mindset was, well, first of all, I don't have the power to go into the South to stop slavery. I don't have the power to actually invade the South. But I do have the power to surround the South and to let them know in no uncertain terms, we're not going to allow the advancement of slavery. Now, this is interesting because when the Democrats were in power, the big states' rights Democrats, right, they used federal power to advance slavery. 
The Republicans come into power and they're using federal power to stop slavery, to slow slavery, to slow the advancement of slavery. This is very important for us to differentiate and recognize. Because when I hear these people say, you know, the Democratic Party was the party of states' rights, it's like, yeah, they were for the party of states' rights as long as it fit their desire to keep slavery. They were the party of, state, of slave states' rights. They did not like northern free states who wanted to exercise their state sovereignty so people could be free, blacks could be free, former slaves could be free in Wisconsin, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, New York, etc. See, this is the duplicity, the double standard by the Democratic Party in this time period. The bottom line is, they were for power. They were for the antithesis of life and liberty. They were for control. And you know, it's interesting because... These woke folk today, the critical race theory people of today, they talk about how horrible and egregious and white uh, supremacists, you know, they talk about uh, systemic institutionalized racism. Well, if there ever was systemic institutionalized racism, it was within the Democratic Party platform, within the Democratic Party uh, practice from the 1830s, 40s, and 50s, and along comes a party, and this party says, no more. We're going to end your systemic institutionalized racism. But let me give you a sense of this white supremacy, institutionalized racism perpetuated by the Democratic Party. Let's look at the secession when Texas is seceded from the Union in 1861. Look what they said. We hold as undeniable truths the governments of the United States and of the Confederacy itself were established exclusively by the white race for themselves and their prosperity that the African race has no agency in their establishment that they were rightfully held and regarded as an inferior and dependent race and in that condition, only could their existence in this country be rendered beneficial or tolerable. Texas Declaration of Secession, February 1861. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so, you know, critical race theory is actually racist. And, and they don't like the fact that maybe uh, professors like myself, we believe in the good and the bad and ugly in American history. I believe in the, the ma magnificent, wonderful ideas of the Declaration of Independence of 1776. I believe in the wonderful ideas of the 1787 Constitutional Republic under God. I love the Bill of Rights given to us by our founding fathers ratified in 1791. The great Frederick Douglass who was first a Liberty Party man, then a Republican till the day he died. Loved by Abraham Lincoln. He too said that the Declaration and the uh, Constitution was magnificent. And you know who followed him in those footsteps? Reverend Martin Luther King, who believed that the Declaration and the Constitution was marvelous, magnificent, wonderful. So I don't buy this claptrap by these woke folk, by these critical race, racist theorists who say that America is essentially racist, white supremacist. Yes, we've had bad and ugly. Yes, there have been racists in our nation. There's not, all nations have the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
And so I think it's important. You know, it's interesting because they, when President Trump was president, he wanted to establish the 1776 Commission to bring along friends of mine like uh, Larry, Larry Schweikert, sorry, bear with me here, author of the Patriots History, and wanted to bring in a number of historians, black, white, and all colors in between, and says, we need to teach the good stuff, the glorious stuff of American history. We'll we do teach the bad and the ugly, and it should be taught. We don't ignore slavery. We don't ignore Jim Crow. We don't ignore black codes, the KKK, segregation. But we want to have a balanced history. And they called Trump and conservatives and classic liberals racist for that. That's a bunch of hogwash. So if there's any systemic racism, it's in the history of the Democratic Party. Let's look, for example, at the, the Democratic vice president of the CSA, Alexander Stevens. Look at this quote by him. Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite ideas. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and moral condition. This, our new government, is the right in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. I, used, I said the word right, excuse me. It says our new government is the first. So here's the vice president of the Democratic Confederate States of America that says we're the first slave Republican of the world. And they were proud of that. That is in the tradition of the Democrat John C. Calhoun from South Carolina who threatened back in the 1830s and 1840s, we will go to war to preserve slavery. And this history needs to be taught in our classrooms. And I got to tell you, you know who understood this brilliantly was the brilliant Abraham Lincoln. This quote by Abraham Lincoln really sums up the difference between the Democratic Party of the 1850s and the Republican Party of the 1850s. Let's see it here. Let, look, look at what Lincoln says. The shepherd drives the wolf from the sheeps for which the sheep thanks. The shepherd his, as his liberator, while the wolf denounces him for the same act as the destroyer of liberty. Plainly, the shepherd and the wolf are not agreed upon a definition of liberty. You see, Abraham Lincoln understood the wolves of the Democratic Party. And he said, we need the shepherd, the president, the Republicans needed to come along and protect the sheep from the wolves that would devour them. He said, you know, the Democrats, you've got a bizarre definition of liberty. You want the freedom to enslave. We want to create freedom for the slaves to be free. And this is what separated, in this time period, the Republicans from the Democrats. And you know, sadly, that civil war started by the Democrats caused the death. New historical research used to have it, it used to be at 600,000, now it's up to 700,000. That's equivalent to 7 million Americans today. Imagine that. 
And then the Republicans, after the Civil War, actually the tail part of the Civil War, and then after the Civil War, gave us three incredible amendments to the Constitution. The 13th Amendment to end slavery. And I would highly recommend watching the movie Lincoln, Steven Spielberg's classic uh, award-winning movie, Lincoln, by Daniel Day-Lewis, won the Oscar for Best Actor, does an absolutely brilliant Abraham Lincoln. And there you see Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans dedicated to ending slavery. It infuriated the Democrats. But the Republicans kept on working, and then they gave us, in 1868, the 14th Amendment, the great Civil Rights Amendment, which now said that former slaves are now citizens, and they should have equal protection under the laws. Democrats were furious about these amendments. And then the Republicans fought, and they gave us the beautiful 15th Amendment, which gave former slaves, black men, the right to vote. So the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment called the Republican amendments to the Constitution of the United States of America, given to us during the Reconstruction time period in the United States. What's exciting about this time period, by the way, is that many blacks, many black Republicans were elected into office. It was just absolutely wonderful to see blacks elected into the Senate, blacks elected into the House of Representatives, blacks elected into, um, into, the represent uh, into state houses in the South in this time period. But i got to tell you something. This was a time period of the creation of the military arm of the Democratic Party, the KKK, the creation of, of black codes, the creation of Jim Crow, the creation of segregation, discrimination. They did not want black Republicans, or white Republicans for that matter, to vote. In fact, the KKK killed literally thousands and thousands and thousands of black and white Republicans from the 1870s all the way up into the 1930s. We'll talk more about that in uh, a show coming up in the future. So I want to show you a scene from a great movie called The Free State of Jones, where you get a sense of how the Democrats are intimidating Republican black and white voters from voting. So let's go to this scene from Free State of Jones. We like Republican tickets. We ain't got those yet. <laughs> Just the Democrat tickets. We'll wait. Might be a pretty long wait. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. These men are here to vote. And they mind dying a whole lot less than you do. Let's see if I can find any. Republican blacks and whites are voting 
dozens and dozens of votes. But sadly, sadly, the Democrats still won as they counted the vote in Mississippi, 419 to 2. You know, it was Joseph Stalin who said, it doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts the vote. And this is the sad thing that was happening by the Democrats in the South. Through intimidation of the KKK, they were, they were going after intimidating black and white Republicans in Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and throughout the South. They were denying, they were defying the 15th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. Now, I got to tell you something. There was a, a great uh, African-American or black American Republican in this time period. His name was John Roy Lynch. John Roy Lynch. He was elected into the State House of Mississippi and eventually into the House of Representatives in the federal government. John Roy Lynch. And John Roy Lynch said, the sad thing about what happened in Mississippi is the Democrats were ballot stuffers and shotgun holders. So what you saw in the free state of Jones was commonplace in the South, and it denied Americans, black and white Republicans, the right to vote. And sadly, what happened in 1876, as we get ready to wrap up the show, is that there was an election... In eight, as presidential election in 1876, when everything was counted, the Democrat Sam Tilden, he had 184 electoral votes. Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican, had 164, excuse me, 65 electoral votes. You needed 185 votes to win. There were 20, he was 20 votes short. Well, guess what was going on? In Florida, Louisiana, South Carolina, Mississippi, the Democrats were cheating. So this, this, this really would take, like, you could, you could do a whole show, like a whole hour show on what happened in the election of 1876. But let it say it went into the House. And there was fighting going on between the cheating Democrats and the Republicans. And finally, they realized they got to do something about this, so they called it the Great Compromise. And what, they, what the Democrats said is, they never admitted they cheated, but they did. They go, look, we'll let your guy have those 20 votes means that means he becomes president so the republican became president of the united states in 1876 but the democrat says you get out of dodge you republicans you federal troops you leave the south and they did that was the evil sad great compromise and so for almost 100 years jim crow Democratic segregation and discrimination came back into the land. Black codes, persecution, lynching upon lynching. And so I think it's important for us to recognize and realize that But there were still good Democrats and good Republicans and good Americans who were willing to fight for life and liberty in the land. And that's what we'll be talking about in parts three and part four of our brief history of American political parties. So my fellow Americans, until we meet again, Godspeed, God bless, and happy trails to you.